On Rosh Hashanah, the rough and ragged sounds of the shofar pull us out of the ordinary, acting as a spiritual midwife and blasting us awake out of our slumber as it has for the last 4,000 years. Some years we are eager, hungry to receive the blast of the shofar. Other years we humbly accept it. Some years we hear it, but we refuse to listen. In other years, me included, I try to ignore it. It's a strange and powerful gift, this call to return. The call to step off of whatever place you are on in your own circle and create a new one while simultaneously hearing the call to come home. Rabbi Alan Liu of Blessed Memory taught, we go about the surface of our lives, working at our jobs, dealing with our relationships, and we're largely oblivious to the fact that the soul, our soul, is going through this incredible melodrama. We discover the reality of that during these days, that the soul is living this life-and-death drama. Every year, we discover, will the soul live? Will it die? How can it change? He teaches that transformation does not have a beginning, middle, or an end. We never reach the end of tshuva, of this returning, of this circle. It's always going on. We're awake for a moment, and then we're asleep again. Tshuva seems to proceed in a circular motion. Every step away is also a step closer to home. Now, for a 4,000-year-old tradition, Judaism has some very radical and revolutionary ideas. First of all, that time does not exist on a straight path, but on a circle. On the surface, human life is very simply, we're born, we live, and we die. But we exist on a planet that is constantly in motion, even if we can't feel it, spinning in a circle on its own axis each 24 hours, and circling the sun every 365 days, which is why we mark our birthdays not as some point in time on a linear path, but as one full circuit around the sun. And not only is the Earth orbiting the sun, but our entire solar system is orbiting around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at this very moment at the speed of 828,000 kilometers per hour. This is where I start feeling like I wish there was a blessing for gravity, but we have gravity. Think about the circular way that we read the Torah each year. We read the final story from Deuteronomy and the first story from Genesis on Simchat Torah with the actual scroll wrapped around our entire community. Please come back and see it and feel it in a few weeks. We read the last word of the Torah, which is Yisrael, and the first word of the Torah, Bereshit, literally touching one another to begin our circle again. We never stop reading the Torah. It is not five books. It's a circle around us. And those two letters that touch, the Lamed and the Vet, when they touch one another, they make the Hebrew word Lev, which means heart. Because at the center of our community is the holy circle of Torah. The saying about the Torah goes, Ein mukdam ve'ein me'uchar b'Torah. There's no early, there's no late. And from the Talmud it says, turn it and turn it and turn it, for everything is contained within it, if we only can find ourselves in its circle. In essence, Judaism turns the notion of time into one with many different dimensions. The one Torah portion, which is named for a woman, which is Chaye Sarah. It's a little bit of a ripoff because she dies in the first line. Not, I'm not going to complain. We got our own Torah portion. But what it says, it, I don't want to be greedy, but 
The Torah says that the life of Sarah was 120 and seven years. It does not say that she lived to be 127 years old. Instead, it teaches us that we are all the ages that precede this one. Remember your seven-year-old self? Remember what it was like to be 20? Who were you then? You are all of the ages that make up the circle of your life, not just the one you call yourself at this particular point in time. The power to begin our own circle to create a new beginning comes from the story of the creation of you and me, actually of humanity on the sixth day of creation. Today we celebrate the creation of humanity. The first word of the Torah, which is also the first book of the Torah, which is the first portion of the Torah, are all the same. It's the word bereshit, which means, what does it mean? It doesn't mean in the beginning. My sermon would be over if it was just in the beginning. The radical notion of bereshit means in a beginning. It's mind-blowing if you think about it. One vowel changes the entire meaning of our understanding of creation. Bereshit would be in the beginning, but we read bereshit in a beginning, which opens up the possibility there were, are, and will be many worlds created before and after us, and the one that we're on right now is not the only one. The word Bereshit reminds us of our own circle of life and that we have so many chances at every point on our circle to begin again and to create. This year I found myself on another place in my own life circle. In November of 1938, my son's great-grandfathers, Victor and Emil Neubrin, were taken from their homes in Vienna, Austria, and rounded up with all the other Jewish men in the city. First, Emil was jailed just before, and then Victor was jailed on Kristallnacht. I can only imagine the shock they experienced when they realized that even though they thought of themselves as proud Austrians, when the Nazis came, they were just Jews. Exactly 40 years later, in 1978, they came back, and Nazis planned to march in my backyard in Skokie, Illinois the Chicago Jewish suburb where more Holocaust survivors resided than any other. Although the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Nazis' march in Skokie after the ACLU defended their First Amendment rights, they ended up moving the march to Marquette Park in Chicago. I was 12 years old at the time, preparing for my bat mitzvah, and I could barely wrap my mind about what it meant that Nazis were coming. I had already seen the graphic and horrific movies about the Holocaust at that age, and I wondered, why were there still Nazis? What did they want? And were they coming for us? That brings us 40 years later, right here. It's 2017, and Nazis were granted a permit to march in San Francisco just down the street from our sanctuary a month ago, Chrissy Field. People were coming to our city who had just terrorized Charlottesville, Virginia with swastikas tattooed on their necks and backs and arms, carrying torches, armed, and chanting, Jews will not replace us. This time the ACLU would not represent them because it seems now there are limits to free speech. That limitation occurred when the life of Heather Heyer was taken in Charlottesville. 
The difference for me was that at age 12 in 1978, I could not even fathom what it meant that Nazis still existed in our world, let alone that they could come to my hometown. It seemed inconceivable. But at age 50, when I saw the footage from Charlottesville, I was not shocked to see Nazis marching. What was shocking to me was that I actually expected it. I expected to see people with swastikas and torches and Heil Hitlers, and that I had come to a mature understanding of why these extremists don't think of me as an American, but as a Jew. These three stories from a bigger circle in our lives remind me of the lyrics from Joni Mitchell's song, The Circle Game. And the seasons, they go round and round, and the painted ponies go up and down. We're captive on a carousel of time. We can't return, we can only look behind from where we came and go round and round and round in the circle game. Although I love the circle game, its message is actually antithetical to why we show up here, to the blast of the shofar. One says, we are captive on a carousel of time. The other says, wake up. Know that this year is completely different than any other. And then it says, come back next year and do the same thing. Those ancestors that Donnie Friend talked about, they did that, and hopefully our children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, will come back and know that this year can be different. The shofar says, act now, or you and this world will be a victim of your own neutrality and our collective inertia. At what point on your life circle will someone ask you, what were you doing when your neighbors were being deported to Mexico? Where were you when the Muslim ban was enacted and tens of thousands of Americans flooded the airports to rally for their release? And when the Nazis were going to come and march in our city of San Francisco, what did you do? Admittedly, the circle game is only a song, not a theology. And as American Jews, this coming year of 2018 on our own particular cycle or circle, more than 1938 on Kristallnacht or 1978 in Skokie, when the Nazis came back this year, we need to understand that although we may see ourselves as patriotic Americans, to many other Americans, we are simply Jews. Elie Wiesel taught we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are in danger, when human, human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders, sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must, at that moment, become the center of the universe. So at this moment, in our Jewish circle of time, 5,778 years, we are at the center of a universe. As liberal Jews, we are commanded by both our prophetic tradition and the heart of the Torah, calling us to stand by and with and for the persecuted in our midst. And when people are singled out for harsh, inhumane treatment at the hands of our own government, we have no choice but as Jews to resist that, to push back, and to acknowledge that by using the power that we can wield in this country, yes, it makes us more vulnerable and even the target of other forms of hatred. But in my humble estimation of this religion, I feel that I personally have no choice. And one more thing. If we really want to change the course of history at this moment, I believe the only way to do that 
is getting to know the people who say that they hate us. How many of those neo-Nazis and white supremacists have ever actually met a Jew? Did you know that this state, California, ranks number one in the nation with 79 active hate groups, six of which operate out of the Sacramento area, one hour from here? This year, a documentary came out called Accidental Courtesy, which some of you have spoken to me about, which focused on the quest of one African-American man whose name is Daryl Davis, who's a pretty well-known, accomplished keyboardist. He made it his personal mission for the last 30 years to befriend members of the KKK and other hate groups, asking them, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? Dangerous for him, perhaps. Revolutionary, definitely. He explains his logic. The most important thing I learned is that when you are actively learning about someone else, you are passively teaching them about yourself. Give them a platform. You challenge them, but you don't challenge them rudely or violently. You do it politely and intelligently. And when you do things that way, chances are they will reciprocate and give you a platform too. He has been doing this for 30 years, and in that time, he has had deep, meaningful relationships with hundreds and hundreds of members of the Ku Klux Klan, and 200 of them have surrendered their robes. 200 of them, one man in 30 years. He has collected those 200 robes and they hang in his home as a recognition of what one individual can do against racism and hatred if they reach out of their comfort zone. Our own colleague, Rabbi Melissa Weintraub, created the organization Resetting the Table, and she took this summer in blue states that had turned red in 2016 with 30 young Jewish adults who she had trained on a listening campaign to Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. And after the summer, she shared that what she took away from those relationships and that listening campaign was empathy and compassion, not derision and hatred. So here's my revolutionary idea for us. Taking their lead, why don't we make some Kugel and Rogelach, take a trip to the Sacramento area, and serve some white supremacists up a little Jewish love and compassion in the form of our food? <laughs> Let's make sure that the people who say they hate us really get to know us. Doesn't it bother you that the Jews who are currently in power, who are representing us in the White House, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, Steve Mnuchin, Gary Cohn, and Stephen Miller, those are the Jews that people in this country are looking to to set their example. It bothers me. Why should so many Jews think that's how, how, many, how many Americans think that that's how Jews behave? No wonder there's anti-Semites in this country. I mean, if they met you people, they would love the Jews. If they had some of my mom's kugel, they would fall in love with us. So I am going to be the first um, rabbi who leads the first Temple Emmanuel white supremacist Jewish food love mission. And I, I just have to say, I need, I need at least one other clergy to back me up. Okay, I, I want to make sure they were bigger than me, whoever was coming with. Now, all laughter aside, sometimes we wonder when we read these words, what does it actually mean, these prophets? What is God trying to get us to do? Listen to what Ezekiel said. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's something that Kugel and Rugelach can do if we go to Sacramento. It's powerful stuff. 
And the only way for people in this country to move beyond the us and them is to commit to knowing one another in a radical way. None of us on this bima, none of your clergy, rabbis and cantors, none of us became members of your clergy to be comfortable or neutral. We were called in different ways, but we were all certain that we would be asked to comfort the afflicted. But the harder part is to afflict you when you're comfortable. So I am not sorry this year if I've made anybody in this sanctuary a little uncomfortable. I think it's time for that. In our safe place, because this sanctuary is our safe place, a haven for our souls and spirits. And if there are any other people in our midst who aren't Jewish, who feel afraid and vulnerable and that their lives are at risk, we will offer shelter and sanctuary for them too if they need it, just like the Central Reform Jewish Center did in St. Louis this week when they brought protesters in who were being chased by the police. If we look around, we should find comfort in the holy, sacred, vibrant community that encircles us in safety and love called your very own Temple Emmanuel. And I also want you to remember that we are safe because of the people who keep us safe. So today, I also I charge you to go up to somebody on our maintenance staff, somebody on our staff, one of the security men or women, and literally give them a hug and say, thank you for making me feel like it's okay to be in my house of worship today. I love Rosh Hashanah because I feel like when I'm in the sanctuary with you, I'm here with my entire family. This is my 20th year as your rabbi, and I'm only 31 years old. Because in 20 years, an entire generation has passed, and your clergy have stood with you as you circled one another under the chuppah, buried your loved ones, held your hand when you said Kaddish, were there for sacred circles of healing when you and your loved ones were sick, wrapped you in talitot of love as we named your babies, moved with you through the pain of separation and divorce, all of this on our sacred circle together. In this sanctuary, we are surrounded by the Lev, the heart of Torah, and the circle of this community. And when I look out at your punams, I see the face of God, and I feel the love. I want to share with you this poem, which inspires me thinking about going to Sacramento. It's called The Low Road by Marge Piercy. It's why I know I can't do it, and I won't do it alone. What can they do to you? whatever they want. They can set you up, they can bust you, they can break your fingers, they can burn your brain with electricity, they can blur you with drugs until you can't walk, can't remember, they can take your child and wall up your lover. They could do anything you can't blame them from doing, so how can you stop them? Alone you can fight, you can refuse, you can take what revenge you can, but they will roll over you. But two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob. A snake dancing file can break a cordon. An army can meet an army. Two people can keep each other sane, can give support, conviction, love, massage, hope, sex. Three people are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge and start an organization. With six, you could rent a whole house, eat pie for dinner with no seconds, and hold a fundraising party. A dozen make a demonstration, a hundred fill a hall, a thousand have solidarity and your own newsletter, 10,000 power and your own newspaper, a hundred thousand your own media, 10 million your own country. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act 
It starts when you do it again after they say no. It starts when you say we and know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. It's Marge Piercy's poem, The Low Road. Our Talmud teaches, in a place where we see people not acting as human beings, especially the people who are elected and appointed officials, we see and feel that our leaders are not expressing the kind of values that we are commanded to choose and work for. We must strive to be menches. We must be like our ancestor Esther, who is told by your cousin Mordechai, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place, but you and your family will perish. And who knows whether you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows if you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We need to teach our children every day through our actions that we care desperately about their future, this country, and the fact that if we do not hear the suffering screams of our own planet, very little else matters. This shofar's blast is not against injustice. It is for us to move justice forward. So everybody in this sanctuary, please take off your seatbelt, get off the carousel, and start a new circle for yourself today on Rosh Hashanah. Because as we all know, it's always the right time to begin. Can you hear May it be God's will. And so with the circle of time, I'd like to invite Abby Walker up here, um, who is a part of the circle of our congregation. Um, she and my son Gabe were born the same year and entered the preschool here, and she has been wowing us and lifting us up with her voice for all of these years. And um, she and Gabe's class are ending one big circle for themselves as we send them off to college this year. So this will be Abby's last time for a little bit singing this song for us, which she sang at her bat mitzvah. And I also want to just acknowledge the incredible, beautiful angels in this congregation. Um, Cantor Addy became pretty sick on Sunday, and we all prayed and prayed and prayed, um, but she has had a very bad cold, and you might have noticed that she is straining her voice. And I just want to say thank you, Cantor Addy, for all of the strength that you brought to us. And you know we've got you, because we have so many angels in this congregation. In fact, every one of you who sang today that lifted up the spirit of our souls on Rosh Hashanah. So thank you, Cantor, for being with us. <laughs> 